So we are studying Aparokshanubhuti um, by Shankaracharya and we were on the 55th verse. Today we are going to do the 56th verse. The whole method of Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, is this. First, we are to distinguish the Atman from the Anatman, the self, the real self, from the not-self. Once you have distinguished the real self from the not-self, then the not-self, the Anatman, is merged back into the real self. Therefore, leaving the real self, Atman, alone. To repeat, the method is this. First, find out the Atman. Who am I? The Atman, is the, Atman means self. Find out the real self. And this you can find out by separating it from what is not self. Once, once the real self is ascertained, apart from the not self, now the entire not self remains. That has to be merge back into the self. And therefore in the end what remains? The self alone remains. When the self alone remains, the not-self is seen to be the false, then it is called the non-duality of the self. Atma Dvaitam or Brahma Dvaitam. Not making sense. That's what we have been doing till today. The first thing is, Advaita Vedanta tells us, you must understand who you are, what the self is, apart from the not-self. Now, the self, apart from the not-self, right now, it be, seems to be quite obvious. If somebody say, tells me that you have to separate the self from the not-self, I'll say that, well, it's quite obvious. Here is the self, I, this is me, and everything else here is the not-self, the other. The self is separate from the other. That seems quite obvious to me. Here is where Advaita Vedanta says, Aha, but you do not know who you are. What you consider to be the self is a really a mixture of the self and the not-self. What you consider to be the self is a mixture of the self and the not-self. You see what they mean by that is, you take your attention to yourself. What do you find first? First, most obviously we find the body. This body, is it the self? Are you this body? And they will take us to a process of observation and reasoning, reasoning based on our daily experience, which shows, which goes to show that you are not the body. Body is a stream of physical changes and you are the unchanged experiencer, the witness within the body. So you are not the body. Look deeper within and you find the mind, thoughts, ideas, perceptions, memories. And even these are not the self. 
because they are witnessed, they are continuously changing. You are the experiencer of the thoughts, feelings, ideas, perceptions. Come on here, there's, there's space here. So the mind is also not the self. This is, this is a fundamental step in Advaita Vedanta, the separation of the self into the self, real self and the not self. Because the, the real problem is we have taken that which is not the self to be the self. The body is not the self and we have without any doubt embraced the body as myself. So this separation is vital. Once we separate this, different methods are there. The method of the five sheets, panchakosha, the method of the observation of the three states, waking, dreaming and deep sleep. Um, the method of the seer and the seen, drigdrishya. There are different methods. These are called prakriya. All of them have one objective. To show us that we are not the body. We are not the mind. We are the consciousness, unchanging consciousness, the witness of body and mind. Once this is ascertained, now what remains? Even now we don't have Advaita. What remains now is, now you are pure consciousness, the witness of body and mind, but the body is there, the mind is there, the entire universe of experience is out there. It's still not non-duality, definitely not non-duality. You have pure consciousness as the self and the entire non-conscious material order of existence as the not-self. So in the second stage of Vedanta, what we do is, we merge the not-self, the material universe and body and mind, all of that back into the self which is existence, consciousness, bliss. And how is this remarkable trick accomplished? Um, it is accomplished this way. When you realize that this entire universe of experience is nothing apart from the real self. It is the real self alone with a covering of name and form which appears as the other. It's a bit like seeing that the reality of this table is the wood, seeing that the reality of the wave is water. And then if I say merge the table back into the wood, you don't actually have to do anything. You just have to realize the table is nothing apart from the wood. The wave is nothing apart from the water. The ornament is nothing apart from the gold. Then what will you have? You have wood non-duality with respect to the table. Wood non-duality means the wood is the only reality and table is not a second reality apart from it. Non-dual means no second. The wave is not a second reality apart from the water constituting the wave. The ornament is not a second reality apart from the gold constituting the ornament. And hence, with regard to the ornament, the gold is non-dual. With regard to the wave, the water is non-dual. Exactly in the same way, those are examples. Exactly in the same way, you will find existence, consciousness, bliss, which you have already by this time appreciated to be your real self, you will find the entire universe is, uh, is nothing apart from that. It is that existence, consciousness, bliss with names and forms which appears as this universe. There is no second thing which is apart from the uh, real self. Then only you can say that the real self is non-dual, Advaitam. This is the process of Advaita Vedanta. First this has to be grasped, 
understood what's going on. Second, this has to be seen for a fact. Until it is seen to be a fact, it won't be effective. It just be some kind of philosophical speculation. It's not philosophical speculation at all. In fact, Advaita Vedanta is just reporting the real state of, state of things. Just as I can say there is a glass on the table, it's just reporting. I'm not speculating. It's an example that here is a glass on the table. In the same way Advaita Vedanta is saying, existence, consciousness, bliss is the only reality, a non-dual reality, and that is what you are. All right. Now, where are we? We are in that second stage where we realize or we understand that I am existence, consciousness, bliss. Now, what about this entire universe? What about this entire universe? I have to appreciate this entire universe as nothing apart from the existence, consciousness, bliss, which I am. And that's what's been going on till, till now. Now, a question arises. Once I realize, once somebody is enlightened and realizes everything is Brahman, there is no real universe apart from Brahman which I am. What will happen to the universe of experience? Will it disappear in a puff of smoke or a burst of light? What happened? The universe has disappeared. Only Brahman exists. I, I am Brahman. What about the universe? It's not there anymore. I can't see it. Actually, will that happen? You might say, who knows Swami? I am not enlightened. You tell me. There is a way of knowing this. Even if I am not enlightened, let us look at the lives of enlightened people whom we consider to be enlightened. Look at Ramakrishna or Ramana Maharshi or Vivekananda and others. Did they see others? They did. Did not Ramakrishna see Vivekananda and, and uh, come on up here, there's space here. Come, come. Did they see others? They saw. Isn't Ramakrishna, doesn't Ramakrishna recognize Vivekananda and Latu and Riday? Um, you recognize other people. You recognize, you know what is to be eaten, what is not to be eaten. You know you to, enough to sit on a chair and lie down on the bed. So that means the enlightened person is definitely perceiving difference. It's perceiving different objects of the universe. The enlightened person does perceive. Which brings us to a very important fact. After you are enlightened, in the state of enlightenment, it's not that the universe which we perceive, not that it disappears for the enlightened person. It continues. It continues to appear. What is the difference then between an enlightened person and me? If I, I see this, an enlightened person, after enlightenment, I will still see the same thing. What's the difference then? That's what we are coming to now. 56th verse. Remember, we are in the second stage where we are merging the not-self back into the self. 56th verse. Anubhutopyayam loko Anubhutopyayam loko Vyavaharakshamopisan Vyavaharakshamopisan Asadrupo yatha swapna Asadrupo yatha swapna Uttarakshana badhata Uttarakshana badhata An important verse, 56th verse. What does it say? This world, the not-self, this universe, 
even after you realize yourself as Brahman, this universe will continue to appear. It will continue to appear exactly the same way. Not only will it continue to appear, you can continue all your transactions. The, the car will not only appear, you can actually sit in the car and drive away also. It will not, um, you know, it just looks like that. It does not, really, does not really work. No. It works. It will appear and everything will function exactly as it functioned before realization. But what will be the difference? Asadrupa. It will be false. You know, though it still appears, it's not real. Brahman alone is real and you are that real Brahman. What's the difference between an enlightened person and a not enlightened person in that case? For a not enlightened person, the world appears, the body is experienced, the mind is experienced, and all of that is taken to be real. Not only it appears, it's taken to be real. This is our only reality. For the enlightened person, the universe appears, but it's not taken to be real. What does enlightenment do? What is meant by realizing the world is false? Realizing that the world is false is the implication of that is the appearance continues the reality of the appearance is negated for the unenlightened it not only appears it's foolish to say it's appearing what what do you mean is appearing it's real for us it's real for the unenlightened it's real and it appears it's exper experienced and is experienced as a reality for the enlightened person, they have made a difference between the reality and the appearance. Even after realizing that it is false, it's just an appearance, the experience continues. Take two examples. One example is the example of a rope and a snake. A classic example. So once you realize that it's not a snake, it's actually a rope, what happens to the snake which you saw? It disappears. You see it as a rope. Take the other example of the table and wood. Once you realize this whole thing is just wood, nothing else. What happens to the table? Does it disappear? Does it disappear? No. The table, table still appears as much as, possible, as, as it used to appear earlier. Ah. Anubhuto api, even it, it still continues to be experienced. Now, in enlightenment, what, which example will ap apply? Will the universe disappear like the, the, like the false snake? And just like the rope, something called Brahman will appear in its place? Hmm? Or will it be like the table and the wood? You understand what wood is and the table still appears. It will be like this. That is what Advaita Vedanta says. Even after enlightenment, with the eyes you will see form, with the ears you will hear sound, with the tongue you will have taste, with the nose you will have smell, with the skin you will still touch, with the mind you will still think, with the intellect you will still uh, understand, and the memory will still remember, or fail to remember. All those things will continue. Sri Ramakrishna comes down from Samadhi, he had a fracture of the arm. After coming down from Samadhi, the fractured arm still continued. The fracture was not healed. There is no change in the material appearance of things. So the experience will continue. But what will go away is the reality of that experience. 
sunrise and sunset. We, sun, we realize after going through school that really the sun doesn't rise nor does it set. It's just the rotation of the earth which produces the impression of the sun rising and the sun setting. Now after learning that, when you look at the eastern sky early in the morning, what happens? Does the sun stop rising? No, the sun is still rising. And in the evening, um, in the western sky, the sunset, you'll experience the sunset also. You know that actually the sun is not rising in the sky or setting in the west. You know that it's because of the rotation of the planet on which we are standing. But the appearance still continues. Only your appreciation has changed. Not only does it continue, you can still use it. You can still reasonably speak about the time, what is the time of sunrise in LA and what is the time of sunset in LA, you can still speak about it. You don't have to give a lesson in uh, astronomy. No, no, there is no sunrise, no sunset. Don't ask for sunrise in LA and sunset in LA. No, we can still use it. We know what we mean by that time. Here's a subtle point. You know, somebody may ask, the world still appears the same. Are you, are, am I really enlightened? Everything seems just the same. If I'm enlightened, wouldn't the world look different? Question is this. If it is really a material world, this is what it looks like. If it is really Brahman, what, what would it look like? Let me give you an example. It's a beautiful example. It goes, to the, goes back to the famous philosopher Wittgenstein. German philosopher who was in Cambridge. One of his students has recorded this um, beautiful exchange. One day after class, she says that we came out of the class in the university in Cambridge and we were walking down and the philosopher Wittgenstein, he looked, looked up at the sky and he said, um, I wonder why ancient people thought that the sun goes round the, the, the sun is rising and setting. That the sun is rising and setting. Why, why did ancient people think that? And this lady, she said, because it looks like that. It, it looks like that. It looks like the sun is rising and setting. And Wittgenstein said, supposing the opposite, what we, what we now know to be true, that the earth is rotating and the sun is actually, it just seems that it is rising and setting. If the earth is rotating, that's what produces the illusion of sunrise and sunset. What would it look like? If the, the question is, why did the ancients think that the sun is moving and not the earth? The answer was, it looks like that, the sun is moving. That's why they thought that. Wittgenstein's counter question was, if the earth is actually moving, what would it look like? Still the same. That's the interesting thing. What it looks like, sunrise and sunset, it looks like that and the truth is that the earth is moving, not the sun. The earth is rotating, not the sun. Sun is also moving in its own way, but earth is rotating and that's what is creating the illusion of sunrise and sunset. Right? So, earth is moving. What, it, what does it look like? The same. 
The earlier theory was the sun is rising and the sun is setting. The chariot of the sun is racing across the sky from the eastern horizon to the western horizon. It's a light racing across the sky. Because the idea was earth is at the center of the universe. So earth is at the center of the geocentric universe. Earth is at the center of the universe and the sun and the moon and the stars are all moving around the earth. That was the idea. Even after we have dismissed that idea, what does it look like when we see in the sky? The same. Just by the way, I'll tell you something interesting. Um, Sigmund Freud said that humanity has suffered three great blows to its pride, historically. Three great blows. The first blow was given by Copernicus. We thought we are the center of the universe. The earth is the center of the universe and we are the center of the universe. And he showed us, Copernicus, that the earth is not the center of the universe. Earth is just another planet going around the sun. So from the geocentric universe to the heliocentric universe, and now we know even the sun is insignificant. It's an insignificant star um, at the, in the suburbs of an average galaxy of which there are many, many, many millions and millions and hundreds of millions of galaxies. So that was the great blow to humanity, to hum human pride, that we are not the center of the universe, very far from it, very far from it. We are extraordinarily ordinary. Completely insignificant in the cosmic order of things. That was the first blow. Then he says, the second blow was, we still thought, all right, but um, we may be in one corner of the universe, but at least we are made in the image of God. God has made us in his own image. Then along came Darwin, who showed us, who proved to us that you are not made in the image of God, you are made in the image of a monkey. That, pride says, was the second blow to human pride. And then the third blow, he says, even after that, all right, so we are evolved from animals, but at least we are, the, we are rational animals. We are rational animals. We think, we have intelligence. Among all the animals, we are rational animals. And pride says, I have come to give the third great blow to human pride. I show that your much wanted rationality is surface, is, is just superficial. We are actually puppets in the hands of uh, irrational forces surging in our subconscious. So Freudian psychoanalysis and all that. Anyway, just by the way. But here, the point here is, if Brahman alone is real and the world is an appearance, has no existence ap apart from Brahman, Brahman is existence, consciousness, bliss, and the world is name and form, like a net spread on the ocean of existence, consciousness, bliss, how would it appear, the world? The answer is exactly like this. That's an important point. A question might come that, uh, um, no, Swami, uh, the enlightened persons have so many extraordinary experiences. They don't see it like this. Some see light, some see uh, gods and goddesses, some see... Some their world disappears from their view, even their body and mind disappears from their view. Isn't it true? True. But all those are experienced in extraordinary states of mind. So when Sri Ramakrishna was in Samadhi, the world would disappear for him. For him. But so does it for you when you go into deep sleep. The world disappears. 
that you are on your bed sleeping, you have a body which is sleeping on the bed, that you completely forget. Or you are sitting in the class and listening to Vedanta, that also you completely forget if, it, if you go into another state of awareness. So, appearance and disappearance of the world is it's, it's nothing to do with Advaita Vedanta, in, uh, the realization of Brahman. It depends on the state of mind. So, yogis with uh, extraordinary practices, they have trained their mind to perceive certain supersensuous um, realities. That's all right. Advaita goes further than that. Advaita says, whether this world you are perceiving, or gods and goddesses, or some heavens you are perceiving, or you are not perceiving this world, you are merged in, deep in, in your own awareness. In every case, it is the same existence consciousness bliss which you are. Advaita Vedanta takes the highest possible stand. It does not play off a religious experience against a secular experience. He says whether it's a secular experience or it is a religious experience, whether it's a mystic experience or a worldly sensory experience, all of them are nothing but appearances in existence consciousness place. And you are that existence consciousness place. And so he says, even when you are experiencing it, the world is still false. I'm reminded of Holy Mother speaking to Arupananda Swami and she says the world is an appearance. It's like a dream. The world is like a dream. And Arupananda Swami says, but Mother, the world is stable. When you wake up, the same world is there. But in dream, the objects of the dream, they come and go every time it's new. So this world is real and dream is false. This world is not a dream. She doesn't go into Advaita Vedanta arguments and all that. She laughs. And she says, Ta Huleiva Vava. Let that be so, my child. It is nothing other than a dream. And Shankaracharya says here, Yatha Swapna, like a dream. What happens in a dream? Even when you are experiencing a dream, uh -huh. I am um, walking around and uh, watching the rose, what is called a rose parade? A parade? Uh, in a New Year's Day. And people are there and there's music and there's wonderful and it's cold. And even when you are seeing that, what is the truth? In a dream, if you are seeing that in a dream. The truth is that you are warm and safe in your bed and sleeping. Even when you are seeing it. Anubhuta, even when you are experiencing this world, the truth is that only existence consciousness bliss is there. Nothing apart, no universe apart from it. Not only that, Vyavaharakshamopisan. It is perfectly capable of transaction, of use. Vyavahara means use. You're thirsty in a dream and a glass of water appears before you. You drink it. That glass of water will quench your thirst in the dream. But really has anything happened? No. You eat a cookie and you go to sleep and you dream of a cookie and there you eat two. And it satisfies your desire for cookies. So the dream desire for cookies is satisfied by the dream cookies. They are actually have a use. They are perfectly all right. But the fact is they don't exist. You experience the cookies, you taste the cookies, you see the cookies and you eat the cookies. And it actually has the effect of removing your desire for cookie, hunger for cookies in the dream. But when you wake up, when you wake up, what has happened? Will you say that I 
ate one cookie when I was awake and two more when I was dreaming, so I've eaten three cookies. I'm way over my diet. No, you will not count the two cookies you ate in the dream because they're not real. In the same way, even when you are in this world and doing everything that the world demands of you, you are doing. If, if you are hungry, you will eat food. I often say, um, Swami, do those who have experienced Brahman, so why should they eat food? So my God, experiencing Brahman means you have to starve. No, when this world of experience is there, all the vevahara, he says, vevahara means transactions will continue. Everything that you do earlier is going on. You see, it's not theory. Look at the people you consider to be enlightened. You look at Ramakrishna or Raman Maharshi or Vivekananda. Did they not eat? Did they not talk? Did they not need a, a horse carriage to go from one place to another? Because they are realized themselves as Brahman, did they teleport themselves from one place to another like Star Trek or something? No. All transactions continue as it is. But what happens is, the difference is, you realize they are all appearances, they are all nothing different from the existence consciousness bliss which you are. You alone manifest as all of this. It gives the beautiful example of Swapna. Swapna means dream. The entire dream world, all the people in the dream, and you are yourself in your own dream, all of that is manifested by one thing, and that's your mind, the dreamer's mind. In the dream, there are neither roads, nor vehicles, nor persons, nor good things happening, nor bad things happening. Nothing is there except your mind, the dreamer's mind, in reality. And how do you know that? When you wake up, what do you say? Oh, it was a dream. Depends. If it was a nightmare, you, get, you say, thank God it was a dream. It was only a dream. My God, thank God. If it was something nice, you had won the California lottery or something like that, you go up and say, oh, it was a dream. <laughs> That's the only difference. You say, oh, it was a dream. Or, oh, it was a dream. That's the only difference. But in both cases, you recognize it's not real. In both cases, you do not deny that you have seen the dream. When you see a dream, after waking up, you don't deny that you have seen the dream. What do you deny? The reality of it. When you say it was only a dream, what are you saying? Did you say that I did not see a dream? No, you are saying that I saw the dream, but now I recognize it's a dream, it's not real. That's what's happening. In enlightenment, that's what happens. When you wake into Brahman, this world of waking, is realized to be exactly like a dream. I have experienced it, I continue to experience it, I know it is nothing other than Brahman. That, that is uh, Advaita Jnana, knowledge, a realization of non-duality. Here he uses a word, Uttarakshana Badhata. Uttarakshana, the next moment. Next moment means when you wake up from a dream. You're dreaming and suddenly you wake up. Next moment what happens? He uses a technical word, Badhaha. It's worth learning. It's a technical word in Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, Badhaha. B-A-D-H-A. It is translated, it's a philosophical word, it's translated into English as, the closest translation is sublation. It's not a word that most of us are familiar with. It's a philosophical term. S-U-B-L-A-T-I-O-N, sublation. What is sublation? 
Badha in Sanskrit uh, is defined as Mithyatva Nishchaya. Mithyatva Nishchaya, ascertainment of falsity. That is sublation. When you wake up from a dream and you look back upon your dream experiences, your experience, you say that it's a dream. What have you done? You have ascertained that it's false. It's an appearance. It was an illusion. I dreamt it. Hence, you call it a dream. You don't go that, oh my God, I wish I had not eaten those two cookies. Because in waking, I ate one cookie. In dream, I ate two cookies. A total three cookies. Not total three cookies. It's still one cookie. Because the two dream cookies are not to be counted. That is called sublation. I experienced eating those two cookies and yet I will not count them because they are not real. Ascertainment of the cookie falsity <laughs> is badha, sublation. After enlightenment, the enlightened person looks at the universe through the lens of badha. In Sanskrit, they say, in Vedanta, they say badhasya punaravritti. That which has been sublated reappears. The classic example is Swami Vivekananda was walking in the deserts of Raj, uh, Rajputana, Rajasthan. And he saw this, this water in the distance. So he walked towards it. And of course it was a mirage. So when he went there, he saw there's no water. And he realized, oh, it was an appearance. It's a mirage. No real water is there. It's just sand. Started walking. After some time, when he looked back, what did he see? Water. He saw water. But what's the difference now? Now he knows it's a mirage. So that water which is reappearing now is called reappearance of the sublated. Badhasya punaravritti. That whose falsity has been ascertained is reappearing. You understand there is no sunrise and sunset. And then you look and you see a gorgeous sunset. You even take pictures with your camera. And you call it a sunset. But you know it's not really a sunset. It's because of the movement of the earth. So, Badhita. In the same way, the enlightened person experiences the universe. So that's what is said. What's the point of this? This is the second stage of Advaita Vedanta. Remember, where the non-self is merged back. Non-self, not nonsense. The non-self is merged back into the self. The entire universe is realized to be an appearance of you, the Brahman. You are reappearing as the universe. Atme Vedam Sarvam. My self, the real self, is alone all this. That is the basis of oneness in Advaita Vedanta. I alone appear as everything. Right now what is happening? I am this one and everything else here is different from me. It's separate from me. In enlightenment what happens? I alone appear as all of this. It's as good as saying all of this is not real, Brahman is real. Or the same thing can be said as Brahman alone is all of this. Equally true. You can say that the snake is not real and it's really a rope. Or you can say the snake is really a rope. The rope alone is all this, you can say. Now, the next verse. Swapno jagarane likaha Swapno jagarane likaha Swapne pi jagaro nahi Swapne pi jagaro nahi Dwayam eva lai nasti 
ಲಯಸ್ತಿ ಲಯೋಪಿಹುಭೋರ್ನ ಲಯೋಪಿಹುಭೋರ್ನ ಆಲ್ರೈಟ್ ದಿಸ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಫೇಮಸ್ ಮೆಥಡ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ತ್ರೀ ಸ್ಟೇಟ್ಸ್ ವೇಕಿಂಗ್ ಡ್ರೀಮಿಂಗ್ ಡೀಪ್ ಸ್ಲೀಪ್ ವಾಟ್ ಇಸ್ ದ ಪ್ಲೇಸ್ ಆಫ್ ದೀಸ್ ಮೆಥಡ್ಸ್ ಇಸ್ ದೀಸ್ ಆರ್ ಕಾಲ್ ಪ್ರಕ್ರಿಯಾಸ್ ಮೆಥಡಾಲಜೀಸ್ ಪ್ರೊಸೀಡಿಯರ್ಸ್ what why is this procedure performed like a medical procedure why is this being performed to show us that i am not the body and mind that i am pure consciousness there are many such procedures the famous ones this is the most famous one i'll come back to it another one is panchakosha the five states uh, the five five sheets method of the five sheets another one is drigdrishya viveka the distinction of the seer and the seen all of them drigdrishya viveka panchakosha viveka avasthatraya vichara all these methods have only one purpose in only one view in end one end in view that is to determine that i am the witness consciousness atma is separated from anatma first and second the anatma is merged back into atma so let's look at this method first the classic text for this method is the mandukya upanishad is this method is based on the mandukya upanishad among all the upanishads we know the upanishads are the core texts of vedanta advaita vedanta now among all the upanishads the most powerful and the smallest is mandukya upanishad it has only 12 mantras and the mandukya upanishad is the most powerful there is a story in which hanuman asks the lord rama how does one get moksha liberation and ramachandra replies to him mandukya mekamevalam mumukshunam vimuktai for those who want moksha liberation nirvana freedom for them they are called mumukshu those who want moksha for them the mandukya upanishad alone is sufficient so um what do you do do you make a b line for the bookshop and and then very soon you will see sold out mandukya upanishad <laughs> and then of course ramachandra goes on to give um, a list of he says if that doesn't work what do i do then he gives a list of ultimately 108 upanishads you go to that <laughs> but the, that one mandukya upanishad what is there in just 12 mantras it's a upanishad from the atharva veda in just 12 mantras the method of the three states our waking state our dreaming state and our deep sleep state that is analyzed if you follow it carefully your true nature as existence consciousness bliss and immortal consciousness is laid bare it's revealed to you that's the whole thing and gaudapada shankaracharya's guru's guru he wrote what is called gaudapada karika the verses on this upanishad mandukya upanishad So on these 12 mantras he wrote four chapters four chapters called prakaranas so the nowadays if you study the mandukya upanishad you generally don't study it directly you study it with the help of the karikas of gaudapada so when you purchase a book in the book book bookshop usually it will be mandukya karika not just mandukya upanishad the upanishad is embedded in the karika in the four chapters the first chapter is called agama prakarana the first chapter the chapter on the upanishad so the mandukya upanishad the 12 mantras are part of the first chapter of gaudapada's book there with the help of the upanishad it proves to you it shows you it lays 
bear before you your divinity. That you are Brahman, an immortal consciousness, and the universe is your manifestation. That's shown with the help of the Upanishad. In the second chapter is done what Shankaracharya is doing now. Second chapter is called Vaitatya Prakarana. Chapter on falsity. Not a false chapter. Chapter on falsity. Vaitatya Prakarana means chapter on falsity. It shows that the universe which seems so vast and different from you is actually false. It's an appearance. So what if it's an appearance? If it is an appearance, you should not count it. I and the universe. How many? Two. If I take the whole universe, all of you together if I take, then what happens? I and this. How many? Two. This is not like that. It's like counting the dream cookies. The universe is not to be counted because it has no existence from the real eye. There's no existence apart from the real eye. The real eye alone is appearing as this universe. Hence, the second chapter proves with the help of reason. It's very interesting. The second chapter gives a series of arguments, points out again and again and again how the world is not different from a dream. Which world? The world of our waking. This waking world has no, is actually substantially non-different from a dream. And we may have objections. We may have many objections. Like Arupananda Swami had when he spoke to the Holy Mother. Every time I wake up, I come back into the same world, same people, same annoying persons also, and same beloved persons also. Same mortgage, same car, same, same problems. Same good things also. All of it comes back. How is it like a dream? Because every time you go to dream, something different is there. So, so many such objections may be there. How can you equate waking to a dream? And uh, Swami Nikhilananda, in his translation of the Mandukya Upanishad and Mandukya Karika, in that book, he gives a separate appendix where he has put forth these ten objections he takes up. We ourselves may not be able to think of, even a skeptic may not be able to think of such objections. Ten objections to show that the waking world is the waking world real and the dream is a dream. They are two different things. He takes up those objections and shows one by one None of those objections are valid. By the time you are through reading that, you feel scared. You will feel that, is this real or is it dream? Like the Chinese philosopher, who was dreaming that he is a, he's dreaming that he is a butterfly. He woke up and being a philosopher, he didn't say, oh, this is a weird dream, I was thinking I was a butterfly. He woke up and he said, so am I a philosopher dreaming that I was a butterfly or a butterfly was dreaming that I am a philosopher now? You will feel a bit like that after you read those objections and their, the, the, the refutations, the replies to those objections. Really you will feel the distinction between waking and dreaming sort of uh, becoming fuzzy. Very interesting. That's the second chapter. The second chapter shows with reasoning that the world of our experience is no more real than a dream. Then the third chapter is called Advaita Prakarana. Advaita Prakarana, the, the chapter on non-duality, it uses reasoning to prove non-duality. Not in the first chapter you used the Upanishad. In the third chapter you use reasoning. Through experience and reason, it is shown that the non-dual Brahman is the only reality and you are that reality. And the fourth chapter is called um, Alata Shanti Prakaranam. Literally it means quenching the firebrand and so on. There's a reason for that. Various other views are taken up. The procedure adopted there is 
it may make other philosophers furious. The procedure adopted there is that Gaudapada Acharya says, all other views contradict each other and hence they are false. We have no contradiction with anybody. And he shows how the, all the other views, they cut each other down. And so for, for him, the non-dual Brahman, the truth of Advaita Vedanta is self-proved. You just have to show the other philosophies are contradictory, the other points of view. So the fourth chapter takes up many, many different schools of philosophy which were current in India at that time and shows that they are self-contradictory and not the non-duality is the only uh, valid uh, philosophy. So that's the source for this verse, um, the method of the three states of consciousness. Uh, I don't want to say three states of consciousness. I know many people keep saying three states of consciousness, but technically speaking, it's not true. These are three states of the mind. Waking is a state of the mind. It's the mind which dreams. It's the mind which goes to sleep. Consciousness neither wakes up, nor dreams, nor does consciousness go to sleep, according to Advaita Vedanta. Loosely, we can speak of three states of consciousness. Technically, these are three states of the mind. Now, what does it say? When you wake up from a dream into the waking world, the dream becomes false, number one. When you go into the dream, the waking world disappears from your view. You cannot really dream thinking that I'm lying down in the bed now and I'm dreaming. Then you're imagining, you're not really dreaming, except for a case of some lucid dreaming, but even there, you, in the dream you're aware that you're dreaming, but you're not aware of sleeping on the bed. If you do that, then you cannot really see a dream properly. So, in the dream it is true that the waking world disappears from your experience. So he says, Swapne api nahi. In the dream, the waking world disappears from our view. And, Dvayameva laye nasti. In deep sleep, neither waking nor dream is there. In deep sleep, blank. I am in deep sleep. Even that experience is not there. Just blank. Deep rest and blankness. In deep sleep, there is no waking, no dreaming. And when you wake up in, uh, or you dream, then deep sleep is also not there. So the three states, follow this carefully. The three states, waking, dreaming and deep sleep are mutually exclusive. In each state, what is there? There is an experiencer, a subject and an objective world of experience. Here you are the subject. You are the subject and you are experiencing this world. There's a pair, experiencing subject and experienced world. That's the waking state. In the dream state also, there is an experiencing subject, one who is, the, the one who is in the dream and a world which that person is experiencing in the dream. So there is an experiencer in the dream and an experienced world, a subject and an object, another pair. And deep sleep, the pair is not evident but there is an experience of blankness. The subject and the object are merged together in a darkness. So in each case, there is a pair. In deep sleep, the pair is merged together. The difference is not clear. But in uh, dreaming, you the experiencer and the world of dream is there. In waking right now, you the experiencer and the world is here. So in each case, there are two pairs. There is a pair, subject-object. Waking subject-object, dream subject-object. And in deep sleep, subject-object merged together in darkness, in, in, indivisibly. Now what he's saying is, these states are mutually exclusive. 
The subject of the dream state, follow this carefully, subject of the waking state is not in the dream state. Because there is no continuity. The person who is dreaming, in the dream, you don't say that, okay, now up to 10.30 I was awake, now 10.30 onwards I am dreaming now. No. There is no continuity of the form that that subject who was awake is now the subject who is dreaming. No. The dreamer has come up afresh. And again, the continuity between the dream and the deep sleep is also not there. Deep sleep suddenly comes when dream simply ceases. And again, when you wake up, a waking subject comes up. No connection with the dream, a dreamer or deep sleeper. So the subjects in each of these states is exclusive. They are separate. They come and go. They have different histories. How is it, if they are the same subject, how is it that the waking person goes to sleep in LA and the dreaming person is dreaming, is having an experience in Delhi? How is it possible? They are not, not the same. There is no continuity there. And the world they experience is very different. The world of your dreams is very different from the world of waking. And the world of waking and the world of dreams is very different from the blankness of deep sleep. They are also different from each other. So the subject-object pairs in each of these states is exclusive, separate. Now, here is the crucial point. Waking subject, dreaming subject, deep sleep subject, they are different. And yet all of these states belong to whom? To you. To you. That means there is something common to all of these states. What is common to all of these states? You. You are common to all of these states because you are the one who was awake. Who was awake. You are the one who dreamt. You are the one who was in deep sleep. And you are the one who was awakened from deep sleep. Then what is that you which is common to all the three states? It cannot be the body. Do you see immediately why it cannot be the body? Because the dreamer has a different body than the waker. And the deep sleeper has no body at all. The world is also not common. This world, the one cookie I ate in this world is not, has nothing in common with the two cookies I ate in the dream world. Different worlds. And yet there is one thing common to all of them. You. What is that? It cannot be the body. It cannot be the mind. It's something beyond the body and mind. That is what is called Atma, pure consciousness. That Atman alone, with the body and mind, is the waker right now. That Atman alone, with the dream body and mind, is the dreamer, the, the subject in the dream state. That, that Atman alone, without body and mind, in the, in the, with the blankness of deep sleep, with Ajnana, is, in deep, is the deep sleeper. The states come and go, they rotate. Day and night rotate, the states rotate. Upon what? Upon you, the pure consciousness. That's what he's pointing out. He's pointing out all these states, the waker and his world, the dreamer and his world, and the deep sleeper and his blankness, the deep sleep. They are nothing different from you, the, the Atman, underlying all of them. Not only are you one with the subject of each of the three states, you are one with the objective universe of those three states also. Therefore, non-duality. You alone, so they are saying the you, the Atman alone, appear as the person in this waking state and the universe of this waking state also. What a huge claim. It's something somewhat solipsistic. Not somewhat, extremely solipsistic. In the sense that 
There's only one reality which is appearing as this, both subject and object. Okay, I think uh, we'll stop here for quite a while. Now, let's take up some questions. We have still some time. Let's take up a few questions. There's a question there. Uh, wait for the microphone. Yes, Ram Gopal. Ram Gopal has a question. He has his hand up. Maharaj, so there are three states of mind, right? The dream state, the waking state, and the uh, uh, deep sleep. Deep sleep. Hmm. So, if we can realize Brahman in the waking state, why can't we realize Brahman in the uh, dream state? Or in the deep sleep state? Yeah. So, what you have, there you have to ask. His question is, if we can realize Brahman in the waking state, um, why can't we realize in the, deep, in, in the dream or the deep sleep? Then my question will be, think about it. What, do you, what, is, what is realization of Brahman? Realization of Brahman is removal of the ignorance that we are not Brahman. And that is possible in the waking state because only in the waking state you can come to the Vedanta class, you can take out the book Aparokshanubhuti and listen to the Swami explain this. In the waking state, the mind is fully active. You see, these states are states of the mind. So in the waking state, the mind is fully active. Your Viveka is working. You can employ that. In dream state, you have hardly any control. And deep sleep, mind has shut down. It's gone into its potential form. It's shut down. It won't work. So you can't use your Viveka there. You can't attend a Vedanta class there. In deep sleep. In dream, you may get a vague impression of attending a Vedanta class. So in dream, sometimes spiritual uh, uh, progress is possible. People get a mantra initiation in a dream. They have spiritual dreams. Uh, but using the Viveka, your uh, faculty of discrimination, which is required here, vichara, this you cannot easily do in a dream. It may, may be possible, but it, generally it's not possible. That's the answer. So why don't you act as the... Uh, you take up the microphone and so you raise your hand, Ram Gopal will. Yes, back there and then you can come here. I'm sure we all have this, which is recurring dreams. We, we have the same Ram Gopal, dream. wait, wait there. Wait there, you can take the microphone. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, you know, we have recurring dreams um, and over the years we have these uh, recurring dreams. What does that do with the uh, idea that you're talking about with the three separate uh, things? What is a recurring dream to, to this? Yes. Remember, Advaita Vedanta, non-dual Vedanta, is not interested, it may sound bad, but it's not interested in our waking lives, let alone our dream lives. It is interested in the one which experiences the waking and the dream. So whether the dreams are recurring or not recurring, what Vedanta is interested in is pointing out who is watching the dream, whether recurring or non-recurring. And if you ask why is the dream recurring, it might be due to powerful samskaras which are coming up in the form of dreams. Yes, there's a question here. Who's next? Yeah, there'll be a question there. Thank you, Swami. Uh, we were talking about the four states of consciousness in the... Three uh, states. The three states. But when I mentioned to you one time about uh, Swami Nikilananda's book of the Upanishads, the torch books, there is a fourth at the top, the Turiya. Is that the same as when you use the word Atman? He has Turiya. 
Okay, right. is, is it the question, the fourth right. tutorial? That's the question? Yes. All right. So, is the Turiya, the Atman, the fourth state of consciousness? I'll make two quick remarks here. It's a common misconception, and people are not to be blamed for it, because the language is such. Turiya literally means the fourth. Turiya means the fourth, right? So that's why we talk about a fourth state of consciousness. What is the Atman? The fourth state. Fourth in what, in what respect? Waking is first, dream is second, deep sleep is third, and there is something called Turiya, which is the fourth. Now, this is a big misconception. Shankaracharya points out in his uh, invocatory verses on the Mandukya Upanishad Bhashyam, Maya Sankhya Turiyam. It is only by in the, in the counting in Maya that we come to the, the figure fourth. The fourth, so-called fourth, fourth is within quotes. The fourth is the only reality. From the point of view of the fourth, it's only one. One, two and three are like the dream cookies. You can't count them. Right? It is the fourth alone. It's like a classic example of there are jewels, so ornaments. Here is a bangle, and next you see a ring, and next you see a necklace. It's the same thing which is being melted and made into another ornament, and melted and made into another ornament. Now somebody tells you the bangle and the necklace and the ring are uh, appearances, the reality is gold. Now if you think, okay, one bangle, two necklace, three ring, and fourth, there is something called gold. Let me throw away those things and look for gold. Will you find gold? No. Is gold actually a fourth thing apart from these? No. Are these one, two, three apart from the gold? No. Neither the necklace, nor the bangle, nor the ring exist apart from the gold. It becomes even more clear if you consider the case where the same gold is being melted and made into a necklace, melted and made into a, a, a bangle, melted and made into a ring, which is exactly what is happening. The same consciousness appearing as the waker, experiencing a waking world. Going into sleep, appearing as the dreamer, experiencing a dream world. Going into deep sleep, a potential state. In all of them, the one reality is called Turiya. Fourth, only while counting the three apparent realities. Like I said, I gave the example of three cookies, eating three cookies. I can say I've eaten three cookies only when I, say, I clarify that one cookie in waking and two in dream. So total three. Is it total three or total one? One. The two in dream are not to be counted. In the same way, the waking and the dreaming and the deep sleep are not to be counted. What is to be counted is the one Atman. So it's apparently the fourth. When you really understand it, it's not the fourth. It is the one. There's a question there. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Um, what about our experience during, uh, while we're asleep and our feelings that we have while we're asleep? You mean in dream? Yes. Because in, dream, in deep sleep, we don't have any feelings. Deep sleep, it's blank. But when we wake up, we when you say, wake oh, it was just a dream. But when we're 
dreaming of a nightmare, like we're falling down yes. or we're flying and yes. we feel amazing. What about the feelings and the experience? Yes, the experience which we are having there. Advaita Vedanta points out the experiences which we have in a dream. Good experiences, bad experiences, enjoyable experiences, interesting experiences. All those experiences, Advaita Vedanta is interested in only one thing. Who or what is experiencing all that? Right? That which is experiencing all that is different from the experiences. The things which you experience are different from the experiencer. Vedanta is interested in the subject, in you, the experiencer, not in what you experience. One Advaita teacher said, apparently brutally, I am not interested in your life. That sounds rather harsh. No, I am interested in you. Oh, no, it is not. <laughs> Why not? Think about it. You have a life in the waking state. This is your life. You know what you are, who you are, um, your past history, your story, your frustrations, your hopes, your dreams, your ideas, your knowledge which you have accumulated, your talents which you exercise. This is your experience about yourself. This is your life. The moment you go to sleep every day, this whole thing disappears for you. And you have dreams, based on this, no doubt. But the dream life is quite different. You know, common sense tells you after you wake up, oh, I was on my bed and sleeping. But what was your experience then? You were experiencing a dream where maybe you were having a vacation in some other spot or something else. Which means, you, the experiencer, are quite distinct from your experiences. Your experiences keep changing. Imagine, one, one important point. Your entire waking life, which you consider to be me, your life, which you consider to be me, all of it disappears in your dream, and the entire dream also disappears in deep sleep, and yet you continue. Who is it that dreams? Who is it that dreams? A great deal of my personal identity is concerned with my memory. My childhood, uh, my father and mother, husband and wife, children, all my memories about my life, right? Now, when I remember, I say, this is who I am. When I cannot remember, remembering and forgetting who is the one who is watching. Apart from the remembering and the forgetting. The remembering and the forgetting have to do with your life. But you are apart from them. Identified with the body and mind, you say, this is my life. This is one thing. So the logic I used was, you are the knower and the life is that which is known. You are the subject and the life is the object of your experience. That's a powerful argument. But another simpler argument is, everything in your life comes and goes. What stays? People have come and gone. Grandfathers and grandmothers, fathers and mother, father and mother, husband, wife, children, come and go. Co-workers, places come and go. The place you grew up in, place you are living, places you will be living in future. They come and go. Experiences come and go. The foods you eat, the sights you see, 
all of these comes all of these come and go what continues through all of them there's something that continues through all of them even the body comes and goes yes awareness consciousness in that case what comes and goes and you say that i was there as a child and i am there as this grown up person what has changed the body has changed and yet you say i was this i was the child i am the grown up person there is some continuity there so that's another argument the continuity argument which shows that i am not my experiences hi swami um can you talk a little bit about the deep sleep state um when i wake up i I'm aware that that there of a dream state but I'm not necessarily aware that I was in deep sleep how do we know that is a state that okay exists? like a deep sleep state uh, I'll come to that one more thing you see when we think of ourselves as our experiences most of us do and then we try to enrich our lives by enriching experiences having more and more especially in this day and age people do that a variety of nice experiences a nice movie a nice gadget a nice vacation that's a nice life a nice award ceremony where i get an award so that's a nice life i'm enriching my life adding experiences one blow in the head god forbid a little bit of a problem there alzheimers or something all experiences are gone so it all disappears i am the one who experienced all that remembered all that felt enriched by all that i am the one who can't recall any of it and we don't have to wait for that let's hope it doesn't happen to any of us but every night we go through that we replace an entire set of experiences this experience with our dream experiences we replace an entire set of dream experiences with our deep sleep blankness and this rotates continuously pointing to the fact that there is something continuing through them which is independent of experiences okay your question is how do we know that we have a deep sleep state how do we know that we have a dream state how do we know that i have a waking state i'm experiencing it swami how do you know you have a dream state i wake up from a dream and sort of vaguely remember dreaming how do i know that i have a deep sleep state because equally for the same reason we wake up remembering i went to sleep and i had some dreams some of which i remember some of which i don't remember and i also remember a state of blankness remember might be a too strong a word i feel there was a time when there was i was asleep but there were no dreams now there is an independent corroboration of that the independent corroboration is doctors are aware of what is called rem sleep and non rem sleep rem means rem rapid eye movement so when we are dreaming the um, eyeballs within the eyelids keep moving rapidly how do you know that the person is dreaming because doctors have done that they've woken up people in the middle of that rem sleep rapid eye movement sleep and they reported dreaming and doctors have rather cruelly wake woken up people who were having a non rem sleep eyeballs are not moving suddenly wake them up and they report no dreams just blankness and they have mentioned they have measured the brain waves i think eeg or something they call it and they have different different kinds of brain waves for waking for dreaming and deep sleep so even objectively you can see that sleep is of two kinds 
One where the person is dreaming, one where the person is not dreaming. And interestingly, I read an article that even ants have dreams. <laughs> yes, I sort of googled that and I found there's a scientific paper on it. They call it RAM sleep, rapid antenna movement sleep. <laughs> they have little micro dreams. They walk around and they freeze suddenly. They freeze suddenly and the antenna are moving. They show physiological signs of sleeping. So, now you haven't, we can't ask an ant whether they were dreaming little ant dreams, but maybe a mountain of sugar or something like that. But, um, but they have, they show, objectively you can see something like that. So, and there's a paper on that, RAM sleep, rapid antenna movement sleep. All right, there was a question. Yes, I'll come to you. Question? Oh, there's a question here? Yes. Swami, could you give us some practical um, tips or how to implement this, this kind of a thinking in our daily life? Okay, I think I'll take that as the last question. We have already run out of time, well over time. So I'll take that as last question. It's a good question to end on. Practical hints. Vedanta says the practical way of realizing this and making it a living reality, not just philosophy, not just a class, is they call it Shravana Manana Nididhyasana. Hear these truths again and again, study them, think about them. What objections come to your mind? Reason through those objections till you get a conviction. This seems to be true. Then meditate deeply upon it until it becomes a living reality. Until it becomes a living reality. Remember, even then the reality will continue to appear like this. We just read that. But you know that you are the witness of the three states. You are Brahman. Now, that being said, Vedanta clearly points out, Shankaracharya in his Gita Bhashya has pointed out, the validity of all kinds of spiritual practices. What about prayer? What about repeating the mantra given by the Guru? What about serving the poor? What about you know uh, pilgrimages to temples and to places of uh, with, with holy associations? All of those have their place. In Advaita Vedanta, from the point of view of non-dual Vedanta, all spiritual practices are powerful preparatory devices for this realization. Without those, this realization will not happen. With those, we stand a good chance of getting this realization. This realization, according to Advaita Vedanta, this realization alone gives us freedom, moksha, liberation. So only the Advaitic knowledge gives us liberation, according to Advaita Vedanta, but that Advaitic knowledge will come uh, because of all the other preparatory practices, culminating in this Advaitic knowledge. So that's the point. The entire spectrum of spiritual practices is valid. Advaita Vedanta does not say, just come to my Vedanta class and you, I promise you liberation. Won't work. After some time, you'll stop coming to the Vedanta class. It won't work. It will work only when the body-mind is prepared. Sri Ramakrishna, in his gospel, he has the last word. He heard a lot of Vedanta talk going on. And he listened carefully. Then in Bengali he said, The words are very good, but they must be assimilated. The teachings are very good, they must be assimilated. They must not only be heard, they must be understood, and then they must be assimilated. Shravana, Manana, Nididhyasana. To be continued in time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat 
ಶ್ರೀರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾರ್ಪಣಮಸ್ತು